the real temptation at times is to be so consumed with our problems or our situation that we fail to live life. And we get consumed with fear or grief or with problems in our life to where we can't even really grasp the fact that we're living. Boy, it's tough. Uh, and, I, you know, it's a lot easier said than done, <clears throat> you know, to face life whenever you're having difficult times. But God's good to us. And, boy, for every moment, boy, that was a great song. As a tremendous message. Boy, may we just cherish each moment, each moment, because we don't know when the last one will be. We really don't. We just don't. <clears throat> Whether it's with family, friends, or even our own lives, we just don't know. Well, John chapter 12, John chapter 12. Tony, you're here tonight, huh? <clears throat> okay. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. I heard, well, anyway, it doesn't matter. But anyway, good to see you. We're going to be uh, voting tonight. Uh, we have a, um, <clears throat> in January, we, well, back in uh, actually December, the trustees got together, and, and one, every year we have one trustee that rotates off our board now. And uh, back in January, uh, the trustees nominated Brother Tony and to be a trustee to take Brother Derek, Derek's place. And um, <clears throat> so it's been a few months, but we finally got there. So tonight we're going to vote on that. We just have little little sheets of paper we'll pass out. Brother Tony for trustee, and uh, we'll get those out. And if you think he's, we'll make a good trustee based on the qualification or the criteria, and it's on the, the form itself, I'll talk a little bit about it at the end of service, then that's fine. You, you put a little check mark there, and <clears throat> he's in. If <clears throat> you don't, then you just don't put anything. You know, you don't have to put, no, he's ugly, or no, <laughs> you know, I don't like his tie today, or something like that. You just... Just don't put anything, you know what I'm saying? And uh, we go from there, okay? <clears throat> so anyway, so we'll be doing that so that the uh, <clears throat> trustees nominate, and then uh, we bring that person to you, and you say whether or not that's okay. And if not, well, then we'll keep going until we find somebody. But uh, <clears throat> I think Tony's a pretty good candidate, and uh, we'll see what you think. <clears throat> trustees obviously did too. Nonetheless, John chapter 12, verse 32 John chapter 12, verse 32. <clears throat> the Bible says in the book of John, it says, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw men unto me. Real simple passage. And I, <clears throat> the Lord Jesus speaking, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. I guess the real question then, I mean, and, and there's a number of questions we could lift from the passage, but the fact is, is how do we lift him up then? I mean, if he be lifted up <clears throat> from the earth, then he's going to draw men unto him. Well, the question would be then, how do we lift him up? 
Well, <clears throat> I think in order to do that, we must first know something about him. We know something about him. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, the Apostle Paul says, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. <clears throat> think about that for a minute. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. He's pretty, pretty single-minded, isn't he? Pretty narrow-minded, pretty focused individual here. And, and he goes on to say in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. <clears throat> Boy, the apostle Paul didn't mess around. I mean, he said, listen, uh, <clears throat> I appreciate the fact that you've got a professional sports team in your city, but really that doesn't interest me. <clears throat> when it's all said and done, I'm not going to take time and energy to memorize all the players on the team. I've got a few other things to memorize. I've got a few other things to focus on. I've got a few other responsibilities and things that are of even greater significance. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now, I've got to believe that a man as smart as the Apostle Paul would know who all the Cavaliers are and would be rooting for them to win tonight. <clears throat> However, I don't think that he went to great lengths to figure it all out. I think it was just, that's the way it was. I mean, he watched the game just like you and I do, and he figured it all out. But nonetheless, <clears throat> the point being is, he didn't take the time to memorize, to learn, to really make that his focus, his goal. Man, Christ was his goal. And you know, the goal of the Christian life is not to simply complete your Bible reading schedule for the year. It's not to simply get a perfect attendance in Sunday school. The goal of the Christian life is a person, Jesus Christ himself. To know him, to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, to have a relationship so close and so intimate that his attributes and his characteristics rub off on us. So much so that we can truly be called Christians. Christ-like. So tonight, I just want to simply get to know him a little tonight. Let's get to know him a little bit. I mean, if, we're, if he's going to be lifted up, then we need to know something about him. So let's just take a few moments and get to know him a little bit. John 5, 39 says, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. So let's look at the Scriptures tonight and identify some of the characteristics and the attributes of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in understanding and recognizing those and ultimately knowing something about Him, we can more readily elevate Him, lift Him up, that He may draw all men unto Him. Father, we come to you, Lord, tonight. We ask, Lord, for your leadership, your grace, and your mercy. Bless us in this time of teaching and time of preaching. May the Word of God go forth. May we learn something about you, and may our hearts be stirred and encouraged. We thank you for that wonderful song that the choir sang. Lord, for that just that tremendous truth that was expressed through song by Stephanie, our sister. We thank you, Lord, for that. Lord, we're just grateful, Father, for just the beautiful piano playing and the singing of the congregation and, Lord, just the, 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 the opportunity to fellowship one with another. But, Lord, tonight we will have wasted our time if we don't meet with you. So, Lord, speak to us and reveal yourself to us. And, Lord, may we be encouraged tonight from your blessed book, the Word of God. Lord, we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> First of all, as we search the Scriptures, we learn something about the Lord Jesus Christ. We learn that he is eternal. He said, I know all this stuff. I know. Well, then just humor me and follow along. But anyway, he's eternal. He is eternal. 
Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Let's take our Bibles. We're going to look at the Word of God a little bit because the power is in the truth and the Word of God. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. <clears throat> Notice what the passage says here. <clears throat> Tremendous passage. We often use it at Christmas time. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, the Bible says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Notice, the Everlasting Father. Our Lord Jesus Christ is eternal. He is, has no beginning and no end. In the book of Micah, we notice here that he says, and it kind of clarifies this slightly. It says, But thou, Bethlehem, Euphrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel. We know that to be Christ, whose goings forth have been from of old from everlasting. Meaning no beginning. No beginning. <clears throat> the Lord Jesus Christ had no beginning. Someone says, yeah, but he, as a man, yes, getting a body, he had a beginning. He had a birth even. But he himself had no beginning. He is God. Matter of fact, we find that to be the case in John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Therefore, if Jesus Christ and God are the same, then we know that they are both eternal. No beginning, no end. And therefore, if the Word is God, then Genesis 1, 1 applies to Jesus Christ. In the beginning, God. See, there was no beginning with God. In the beginning, He already was. He existed. He was there. Someone says, well, when did He begin? When did He come into... When was He conceived? When did He finally uh, make His debut on, uh, in this, on the scene in the universe? He didn't make a debut. He was the debut. He is all there is. He is all in all. The fact is that there is no universe without Jesus Christ. He is God. And in the beginning, God. It's interesting that Jesus Christ, how, well, let's go to Exodus, if you would. Exodus 13, 3, 14, that'll, that'll be better. Exodus 3, 14. <clears throat> In Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, we are <clears throat> introduced to a wonderful <clears throat> uh, character of the Bible, Moses. And, of course, Moses is going to find himself on a mountaintop, and there he's going to run into a burning bush. Now, that would be an experience, would it not? Nonetheless, that from the, from the midst of that bush comes a voice. And we, we hear <clears throat> that voice saying in Exodus 3.14, And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. That's interesting, isn't it? <clears throat> and he said, Thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent, has sent me unto you. <clears throat> I am. <clears throat> Where's the beginning there? I am. There's no beginning. There is no end. I am. He said, I am that I am. That's it. Well, what, 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 do, I, what do we call you? What, who shall I say sent me? I am. And then interestingly enough, we find over in the book of, of uh, John, chapter 8, verse 58, <clears throat> Jesus said unto them, <clears throat> excuse me, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. So Jesus, again, uh, identifies himself as God. As a matter of fact, the people, Israelites, they understood exactly what he was saying. When he 
used that terminology, they knew exactly that he was implying he is equal with and God. And they, they sought to kill him because it was blasphemous to them. Because he, you aren't God. I'm not God. He's God. And Jesus said, I am. Hey, no beginning, no end. No beginning. He is eternal. Eternal. Well, that, that, that's, uh, that's powerful stuff. I mean, I, I don't get it. I don't understand it all. Someone says, how do you explain that? I don't know. I have no idea. It's far beyond me. I guess it goes all the way back there to Isaiah chapter 55, verse 7 and 8, when he says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts and all of that. I don't know. I don't have an answer for you. Someone says, well, how can I believe that? That's just blind faith. Okay, then just go ahead and believe the alternative that just a big bang created it all. <clears throat> no faith there needed. But what I do know is that everything seems to fit pretty good when you put it back in context of Genesis 1-1. Everything seems to fall into place pretty good. And there seems to be quite a few answers. And, and I don't think that, that 40, uh, 40, 44 different men got together over 1,600 years and uh, just kind of accidentally wrote a book that doesn't contradict itself. I, I just don't think it happened by chance. I do think there is a, there, there's a master designer here. <clears throat> His name is Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ. He lives and reigns and He is God. And He doesn't have a beginning and He has no end. He's eternal. <clears throat> he says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord which is, which is, sounds like I am, doesn't it? I think is is a form of am, isn't it? But anyway, <clears throat> if I recall my English properly, which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Isn't that great? So anyway, we have the Lord Jesus Christ, eternal. Number two, he is immutable. Immutable. We're talking about lifting Christ up. <clears throat> We're talking about raising him up in the eyes of mankind. And when he, we do that, he says he'll draw them in unto himself. So we can say, hey, our Lord is eternal. He's not like any other Savior. He's not like any other leader of a religion. He is eternal. He is God. <clears throat> but he's also immutable. Immutable means unchanging. He's unchanging. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. The Bible says, For I am the Lord. I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob... Uh, therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Again, I am the Lord. I change not. Now that's kind of scary, isn't it? You say, why would that be scary? Because that same God is my God. And I've seen how he handled some issues in the past. Amen. I'm about tired of this idea that fearing God has nothing to do with fear. There's something wrong with that. Hey, the moment that your children, as a two- or three-year-old, doesn't fear you, you have no authority over them. Now, as they get to be about eight, nine, and ten, we hope that they start to say, I don't want to disappoint mommy and daddy. But let's tell you, when they're little, the only thing that keeps them in line at first is they don't want to feel that little shock. <clears throat> People say whatever they want. But God has a reason for what he does. And one of those things is he tells us to not spare the rod. Why? Because he, he understands that it is a very formative time in a life. It's important to understand, to follow leadership, and to, to realize that there are consequences for decisions. One of the great problems in our culture and our society right now is that people don't recognize consequences. 
They, they somehow got the idea they can live however they want, do whatever they want, and no one can tell them anything or say any different, and they're perfectly fine. There are no consequences. You can go ahead and dismiss God's roles and, and, and responsibilities as a husband, as a wife, as a mom, as a dad, as a man or a woman. It doesn't matter because you have a right to do whatever you want. There are no consequences, and you shouldn't have to be put out if you're gay or if you're lesbian or if you're... you're uh, um, a pedophile or whatever it might be. Everybody has rights and everybody should just learn to be tolerant and everybody should be accepting of everybody under any circumstance and situation. That's the mentality in which we live. I mean, everybody gets a trophy, whether they win or lose. Everybody gets a little, a little uh, um, you know, um, ribbon that says first place, even though they didn't study or prepare or ready themselves like the other guy did. Hey, listen. There are winners and losers in life, and there are consequences for actions. And you know what? The Bible's just trying to say, you want your children to grow up to understand how to deal with life, how to be truly complete, whole, then help them to understand there are consequences. And you know what? God starts off life with understanding He has consequences for things. And you know what? We need to understand that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what He says in Hebrews 13.8. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is unchanging. Thank God He is unchanging, though, because when He extends His grace to us, let me tell you something, I don't want Him retracting it. He keeps His word because He's immutable. He's unchanging. If He was... Uh, uh, righteous in the Old Testament, he's righteous in the New. If he was just in the Old Testament, he's just in the New. If he was fair in the Old Testament, he's fair in the New. He is unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. <laughs> it was a number of years ago now. I can hardly believe it's been a number of years ago. But I remember that on our track, uh, my picture was on it. And uh, I, I can still recall uh, passing one of those tracks out and got into a discussion with a lady and as we were going along, <clears throat> she, um, she says, is that supposed to be you? And I said, well, yeah. That don't look like you anymore. You know what she was saying? You've changed a lot. You've changed a lot. I think she meant I got better looking. But, but anyway... <clears throat> The, the fact is, is that, is that I had changed a lot. Let me tell you, Jesus Christ doesn't change. He doesn't change. I, I like that about him. I like that. Because, you know, what that means to me and what that means to you is that he's unchanging in his power. He never grows weak. He never gets tired. You know, if I had a, a set of weights up here, a, bell, a, a barbell with some weights on it, and uh, I had one of these tough, strong fellas come forward and, and say there was about 50 pounds on the bar. That's not a whole lot of weight. I know some of you are like, man, I can, I can do a ton of, you know, curls with that 50 pounds. Man, that's nothing. Well, you get up here and you start doing those curls and we start counting them out. Three, four. We're doing good. Five, six. Still doing good. Seven. Now, some of you are, are, are starting to fall away, but not me. Eight, nine, <laughs> ten. Okay, we could go, you know... You know, 40, 50, and we're fine. Okay, okay, maybe not that many. But anyway, you do enough of those, let me tell you something. You're going to start getting weak. You're going to lose your power. You're going to lose your strength. But you know what? The Lord Jesus Christ never loses his power. He never grows weak. That's wonderful. I, I love that. Not only that, but because he's unchanging, uh, he's unchanging in his provision. Do you know that he can still provide for you and I as he did for those saints of old? Do you know, we think about Elijah over there by the brook Cherith. 
And there's God supernaturally intervening, providing for him, meeting his needs. There they are in the midst of a drought, but not, not Elijah. He's doing just fine. Why? Because God's providing and God's meeting his need. And may I say the same God that met the need of Elijah is the same God that can meet the need in my life and in my family and in my home and in my ministry. And God can do it for you. Because he's unchanging in his provision. He's unchanging in his person. I mean, he's, he's unchanging towards sin as a person. His character has not changed. I mean, he has some absolute still. He doesn't think in abstract. He thinks in absolutes. Situational ethics does not do anything for the Lord. He doesn't get it. I mean, you don't say, well, what if, <clears throat> would it be all right to steal if your son was dying? And on the other side of the door that's locked, there was the medicine to cure him. Would it be okay to break the door down, even though you don't own the medicine, even though it's not your place? Would it be all right to break in and steal the medicine in order to save your child's life? You know what that's called? Situational ethics. God says, thou shalt not steal. God hasn't changed toward his attitude towards sin. Someone says, but it's not right that my child die. And that man, hold on to that, that serum or that woman. Hold on to that serum that could save their life. I'm not saying it's right. I'm telling you it would be wrong to steal it. So says, you can't tell me it'd be wrong. It wouldn't be wrong if you could save a life. Well, let's find out what the Bible says. Thou shalt not. Okay, that sums it up pretty easy. I'm not trying to, listen, I, I mean, I don't know that it's going to happen tomorrow or anything, but I'm just saying, and you say, well, what if it was your child? And what if you could get it if it was on the other side of the door? Would you break down the door? I hope not, but the fact is, I ain't going to even tell you right now. But I'd hope I'd do what God says and trust Him to do that, to meet the need. Someone says, well, whew, that's a rough one. That's rough, but God's still the same. His attitude is towards sin is unchanging. See, God's not concerned with political correctness. He's not concerned with cultural um, relevance. He's unchanging in his person. You know what? He's unchanging towards sinners too, though. I am glad today that the Lord is unchanging in his person to the point where he deals with sinners the same way he always has. He still loves us unconditionally. I'm glad about that. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but His long-suffering to us who are not willing that any, that any, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, He's not only unchanging towards sin and sinners, but also toward His sons. I'm, I'm, I'm happy about that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I mean, his unchanging person ensures that he continues to be unchanging in his attitude and his actions toward his own sons and daughters. Well, I'm thankful that I have a place, and it's all based on his unchanging, immutable character. Not only that, but he is omnipotent. He's omnipotent. That means, that means, according to Webster, almighty, possessing unlimited power, all-powerful. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, we read it already. It says, he, Jesus said, I am Alpha and Omega, 
the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. The Almighty. He is all-powerful. We see His power in creation. In creation. It says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, turn there because these are very important passages, especially as we deal with, with this issue of, of atheism today. And, you know, we just, this element of creation versus evolution. And, boy, I'll tell you, these, these passages are very, very powerful because it identifies our Creator in a very personal way. Colossians 1, 16 and 17, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven. By Him. It's the Lord Jesus Christ it's referring to, if you would read earlier on in the chapter. And that are, He says, not only, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven, and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. That's that, that right there. Those three words are very important. And for Him. When's the last time you thought about that for a minute? That, oh yeah, you, you know, we're all very quick to say, God created me. I'm confident God created me. But how many times have you thought, God created me for Himself? For Himself. You, you know what? That, that opens us up to a lot of issues, doesn't it? You really think of it from that perspective. All of a sudden, I've been created for Him. That means then that my real purpose in life isn't to have things turn out the way I plan. My real purpose for existing is for Him. To do as He chooses and as He pleases. And that may not be a comfortable position. That doesn't always guarantee the easy road the bed of roses. But see, we were not created for ourselves. We were created for Him. Everything was created for Him. The earth was created for Him. He only allows us to partake in it and to enjoy it and to have part in it, but it really wasn't created for me. It's for Him. Well, that puts things in perspective, doesn't it? God, I don't understand why you don't give me that. Well, it wasn't created for you for him and if you get it it's because he is gracious enough to allow you to be a steward of it that's a that's a tough pill to swallow at times when things aren't going our way but god in his infinite wisdom is able to turn what would seem bad into good even we see his power in creation he says and he is before all things and by Him all things consist. There again we see His eternality, eternal, eternal, eternality, I guess you would say. I don't know if that's a word or not, but it's, I'm going to put it in my dictionary. We see His eternality. Now He's eternal again. There it is. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. So His power is seen in creation. He is omnipotent, all-powerful. He created all things for Him. His power is seen in his, his many miracles. Think about the many miracles that the Lord Jesus Christ performed. 
Boy, there was some tremendous power being demonstrated. Luke chapter 7, verse 22. Then Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way and tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached. That's some miracles. You say, but it's kind of a bummer, you know, we can't heal the blind like he did then and the lame like he did or the lepers like he did or the deaf like he did or the dead raised like he did. Yeah, but we can certainly preach the gospel to the poor. And we might as well do what we can. Seems to me that's pretty important to the Lord. That's what elevating Christ is all about, isn't it? Getting the gospel to people. Not only do we see his power in his creation and in miracles, but also in his many acts, or his mighty acts, I should say. John 21, 24, and 25. Turn there, if you would, please. John chapter 21, verse 24 and 25. Again, amazing passage. As we close or conclude the book of John, we are brought to this place where the Lord says, Okay, now you've seen everything that I've done, but then again, you haven't. So let me just make sure you know there was much more. Here it is now. John chapter 21, verse 24. This is, this is the disciple which testified of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. You say, but we have microfish now. And we've got these computers that can really make writing really, really, really small. It doesn't matter. You, you couldn't contain it in the world. I'm sure it, it applies today just like it did when it was written back in John's day. Jesus did so many things. There's so much that could be written. There is an ex- inexhaustible amount of information, inexhaustible amount of, of understanding and wisdom that we could glean that there's no way in the world that you could put a cover around it and call it a book. It wouldn't fit on the earth. No computer could hold it all. Amazing. Only the universe itself can contain it. And he created that. His power is seen in his mighty acts. His power is seen in his exalted position. Philippians chapter 3 verse 21 says, Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body? Boy, I tell you what, you want to get encouraged about some things? The Bible says that one point, he's going to change this old vile body that we have, you know, that's all broken down, beat up, used up, spent. And he says he's going to change it, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Think about his glorious body coming out of the grave. I mean, one minute he's on earth, the next minute he's up in glory. One minute he's, uh, who knows where he's at, and then he's in the midst of a room. I mean, think about the body that Jesus Christ had. That body that's adapted to both the physical and the spiritual realm. That's the body we'll have, according to Philippians 3.21. But he goes on to say, Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able, he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. He's able to subdue all things unto himself. The word subdue has to do with to conquer by force or the exertion of superior power and to bring into permanent subjection. 
to reduce under dominion. So basically, he is able to force or to exert a superior power to bring permanent subjection. He's able to subdue all things, including all people. He has an exalted position. Jesus Christ has the power to bring all into submission. He, according to the Bible, is able to subdue all things, as we said. And although there are those that will oppose Him, although there are those that will stand in opposition to the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be helpless and hopeless before Him. Psalm chapter 2, verse 2 through 5. We read that the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying... Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. What are they saying? Oh, we don't want anybody to tell us what to do. We don't want to be under subjection to any other person. Who cares about God and His, and His anointed, the Lord Jesus Christ? We're going to live our lives and do as we please. We don't want God telling us what to do. He goes on to say, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. See, Jesus Christ will subdue them in his time. Oh, they may think that they have somehow overcome the master. They may somehow believe that they have become victorious in their quest for independence of God. But that is a lie. The fact is, is that the Lord Jesus Christ at any moment can subdue, bring them into subjection. And according to Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11, he will indeed do that to all. Because the Bible says there, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, all things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You're not going to get away with it. I'm not going to get away with it. No one gets away with it. The fact is, is that we are all going to be in subjection to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is eternal. He is immutable. He is omnipotent. And finally tonight, for sake of time, let's just consider this last one. He is omnipresent. Omnipresent. That means he's present in all places at the same time. That's amazing. Speaking of Christ, we read in Ephesians chapter 123, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. But we say that the Lord Jesus Christ is enough. He is enough. He's enough for me. He's enough for you. He's enough for everyone. And not only that, but he is everywhere at all times. According to the scriptures, Christ is in us. That's what we know. John chapter 14, verse 20. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He also said to his disciples in John 14, just three verses later, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and he will come unto him and make our abode with him. The fact is, is that Jesus Christ indwelled us. According to Second, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that we are, we are the temple of God today. Literally Christ in us. Amen. So according to the scriptures, he's in us. But also, although he's in us, he's also in heaven. Go figure that out. 
Colossians 3.1 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Wait a second, I thought he was in me. I thought he was in you. How's he up in heaven? That doesn't make any sense. I didn't say it makes sense. I just said it's truth. Amen. It's the word of God. It, the Bible teaches us that although he's in us, he's also in heaven. Romans 8, 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Hebrews 7, 25. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Hey, listen, the Lord Jesus Christ is in me, and he's in you, but he's also up in heaven. He's omnipresent. Not only that, but although Christ is in us and in heaven, he's also in our midst tonight. He's here in this place. The Bible says once again in Matthew 18, 20, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So now he's in our midst. Now he's in our heart. And now he's in heaven. But not only that, but do you know that as we go with the gospel, he's with us there as well. He says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen? So not only is he, he in, he's, he's in our hearts today, not only is he in heaven, not only is he in our midst, but he's also with our church as we go out knocking doors, as we reach out to people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everywhere you turn, Jesus Christ is. And he's there. He's omnipresent. He's omnipresent. The goal of the Christian life is Christ. He is the goal. And when we fail to recognize that reality, we miss a valuable truth that enables us to be the witnesses we ought to be. See, when we make serving the Lord our goal, instead of communing with him instead of a relationship with him instead of being filled with him then we miss it because then we do for him but we don't know him god wants us to know him and in knowing him we're able to lift him up elevate him in the eyes of others and if he be lifted up he'll draw men unto him Maybe the problem is, is that we don't know him as well as we should. We know a soul winning plan. We know and have memorized a few verses. But maybe it would do us better to know him. Because then we could probably convey him better to others. 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, Paul said, For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Wow. I was determined, he said, not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Isn't that something? What occupies your mind, your time, your attention, what occupies mine? I think one day in heaven, 
I think we're going to learn that all this talk about being so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly value, is going to be proved to be a bunch of satanic lies. I really do. I don't know that you can get too heavenly minded. I, I just don't think you can. I don't think you can focus too much on the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I'm sorry, but the more and the older I get and the more I, I try to understand the book and know the Lord, I, I, I think that the idea of being well-rounded in the world is almost contrary to Scripture to begin with. Amen. We're to be simple concerning evil and wise concerning Him and the things of Christ. He says, well, if you don't know anything about sports, you don't know anything about business, you don't know anything about the economy, you don't know anything about... I'm not saying be ignorant and just downright trying not to learn, but let me tell you something. I don't know that you can know too much about the book. I don't know that you can focus too much energy on understanding the Word of God and knowing Him. Knowing Him. Last I checked, He was wisdom and is wisdom. So you know what? If you know Him and you have Him, guess what you got? Wisdom. I'm just saying, Paul the Apostle, I think, had something going here. Most think, you know, the Apostle Paul, he didn't have a life. It was all about Jesus. Exactly. Maybe that's our problem. Maybe we have too much life. What did the Bible say in the book of Matthew, chapter 16? If we're going to gain our life, we have to what? Lose it. Maybe we forgot those passages. Maybe we just bought into the idea that we've got to be like the world to win the world. What we need to do is know Him. And when we really know Him, then we'll actually be able to elevate Him and share with the world who and what He's all about, who He is. That will make the difference. See, isn't it great in the book of Acts chapter 4? And I'm, I'm not a proponent of being ignorant and stupid. But isn't it interesting that when they looked at John and Peter, they said they were unlearned and ignorant men. What did they recognize about them? They had been with the Lord. Wow. That's where their testimony lied. God uses smart people. He uses dumb people. He uses tall people. He uses short people. God uses all kinds of people. You don't go into life trying to be dumb. Not studying. Well, I'm just going to study the Word of God. I don't care about my studies at, church, at school. Well, you'd be a fool. Whatsoever thy hand find to do, do it with thy might. You can't be right with God and not give your best at everything you do. But by the same token, let's be careful we don't get consumed with life itself and forget about the one who is the giver of life, Jesus Christ. And as we get to know Him, we get closer to Him, maybe some of these wonderful attributes of the Lord Jesus Christ will rub off on us and we'll begin to share Him with others in a way that they can't even resist Him because He's so wonderful in their eyes. Mr. Wiser sells cars. You know what? If you want to sell a car and be effective at it, you better know what you're selling. You better be able to... I mean, when I went and bought a car over there, they were telling me all this stuff from the factory this and from the factory that and this runs here and this does that and this does this. And I'm like, wow, really? Wouldn't that be nice if we could take Christ to the world like that and lift him up? Christ is immutable. Christ is eternal. 
Christ is omnipotent. Christ is omnipresent. And we can begin to show them from the word of God who and what he is all about. And they go, wow, really? And if I, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, excuse me, and if I, excuse me, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Let's make it our goal in life to know him and lift him up and watch God provide us with fruit. It would be awesome as we watch God work. Father, we come to you.